Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to our podcast, Life After the Letters. I'm Amelie. And I'm Suba. We're friends that met whilst working our first shifts as junior doctors. And we're here to talk about the stories and challenges that we face every day. This week I have the pleasure of introducing Thomas Curran. I came across Tom via TEDMED whilst creeping on who their next speakers would be and ended up reading his paper on perfectionism. Tom is a personality and social psychologist, lecturer and assistant professor. He's lectured in Australia and also somewhat of a statistical wizard. He has a special interest in the trait of perfectionism and its effect on mental health. And his theory regarding cultural influences on perfectionism is really interesting. Today, we'll be picking his brains on the topic of perfectionism, why it's at an all-time high, and why it's a negative for our mental health. Welcome to the studio. Hello, hello. <laughs> Thank you for that introduction. <laughs> You're very welcome. Clearly done your homework. Yeah, uh, Google tells you a lot. <laughs> it, it absolutely does. Almost too much sometimes. It's terrifying. But that's another story. Yeah, it's dangerous. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, you're very, you're very welcome and we're happy to have you on the show. So, you're not actually from London. Oh, so uh, at the moment, uh, I'm living in Bath, mm -hmm. uh, but I am shortly going to be moving into the big city. So it's a big move <laughs> for me. Very exciting. It is very exciting. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. uh, so just sort of just dipping my toe in today. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, a couple of weeks time, it'll be full on. He's, he says he's very excited, yeah, but I just spent about 15 minutes <laughs> with him just chatting about his move to London. And actually, I don't think he sounds that excited, I but I completely understand where you're coming from. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Did you grow up in Bath or is that just where you ended up working later on? No, so I, I grew up in Northamptonshire. Okay. Uh, so that's where I'm from, a place called Wellingborough. Okay. It's a small mm -hmm. town, you kind of you kind of go through don't necessarily stop <laughs> uh, <laughs> but your family did <laughs> <laughs> they did <laughs> um and i soon i soon got out uh i did a uh an undergraduate degree in a little college called bedford it's going to be a p teacher actually no. uh, yeah yeah that was my original uh aspiration um but uh why was that do you remember i just love sport yeah, yeah, yeah. i was really really sporty uh, <laughs> as a kid and yeah. you know uh I love football and I love cycling, so I kind of just thought, made sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you look at your PE teacher and you're like, they're living their best life. <laughs> so that's what I want to be. Doing. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And they were always the cool teacher. They were, and they wore like polo shirts to school. It was great. It was amazing. No uniform. No. You know? <laughs> 
Yeah, it's just awesome. Had a great life. Uh, do you have regrets? About <laughs> <laughs> uh, Reconsidering yeah. things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> life choices. Yeah, now we're talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um. So so, but but I kind of got a uh, really interested in psychology while I was uh, doing my undergraduate. So um. So what did you study as an undergrad? I, s- I studied uh, sport and exercise science. Okay. Uh, but a part of that you do like health and exercise psychology. Oh yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, so, which which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. You know, why definitely. why people uh, engage in health behaviors, uh, motivations, yeah. um, and uh, how we you know barriers facilitators and how we can get people more healthy. And I was just mm. found that really like fascinating. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. why why mm. people why people are inactive or why they don't engage in necessarily the healthiest lifestyles and yeah. mm. some of the psychological processes underpinning those things and. That kind of led on to an interest, uh, which uh, which I kind of developed in my PhD, which was around motivation and um, physical activity among young people. Okay. Uh, so I did so Tom, Tom looked at us both very pointedly as he said, "Young people, thank you." <laughs> yeah, you guys, you <laughs> guys, we are the youth of today. You, you guys are <laughs> very, very young. Uh, I feel very energized in uh, in this studio. Um, uh, but no, like I. I I went up, I, I, I was really interested in that. I've kind of changed a little bit, um, I'm, I'm sure we'll come on to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did my PhD up in Leeds, and then I did a postdoc in Melbourne. Uh, Cash? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. you were all up north, and then you were like, I'll just go to Melbourne. I know. Uh, it's just <laughs> like, I just had enough of the weather. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted a bit of sun for a year or two, Fair the postdoc there. So yeah. your research in undergrad and before your postdoc, what was that looking at? Uh, mainly health behaviours among okay. young people. Okay. So motivations that go underneath physical activity mm-hmm. uh, in particular. Uh, Can I ask, was that generally young people or was it more like your athletes that you were looking at then? Uh, it, was, it was kids really okay. in uh, like sports settings. Um, mm-hmm. Trying, you know, wha- why they engage in uh, sport and why they don't. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And, and how we can keep them there once they're there. Because one of the problems, in sp- uh, particularly in sport and kids, because mm-hmm. it's the biggest uh, it's the biggest opportunity for physical activity in, in, that, in that cohort uh, is that you get you can get them in the system but then there's a massive drop off after yeah. about 14 mm. so it's an interesting problem how you keep them there and of course we know if you can keep them there p- past that point you'll keep them engaging Absolutely. for life yeah, so yeah. it was a really interesting topic important um, but as I sort of developed uh, I, I kind of become much more interested in the psychology rather than the health. Yeah. If that makes it makes sense, yeah, and yeah. I became really interested in psychological theories, concepts, and and uh, la- latterly, I've kind of as I've moved, I moved, did another postdoc in Cheltenham, and then I moved to Bath uh, about three years ago. Uh, I've, I've s- focused more mental health, and in particular, perfectionism, which is mm. is my area. Yeah. So, what brought that shift? What from from the sort of research you were doing beforehand, how did perfectionism sort of rise to the surface as a special interest for you? Per, very personal, I think. Like, uh, I, I'd sort of recognised a lot of uh, perfectionist tendencies in myself. And, yeah. I, and I saw a lot of students as well, young people, myself included, uh, people that I interact with and the people that I would teach, uh, would have excessively high standards for themselves mm-hmm. and uh, engage in a lot of self-criticism when, they, when things don't go well. Um, and it was quite evident to me that this was something that was very unhealthy, mm. and and I saw it in myself too. Uh, and 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 one of the things that jumped out at me in the literature was perfectionism. Okay. Uh, it's something that very few people have researched, but it was something that I thought anyway that was very very prevalent. And uh, it just kind of sparked a bit of an interest. So I did a couple of early studies looking at what it predicts, so some mm-hmm. of the outcomes. Uh, and then as that grew and the interest grew, I decided 
uh, I, I turn my attention more to development. So why it develops in the first place. Interesting. And, and as I say, because I saw it around me, mm-hmm. it was interesting to me why that might have been the case today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you look at perfectionism, what is it that you see perfectionism, perfectionism as being? How would you like define it almost? It's a personality characteristic. So we call it like a surface level trait. Mm-hmm. Um, Which means... It means that it's not, it, so it has some genetic component. Okay. There's a, there's around about half of perfectionism that we, we know is beha- like in, inherited. So mm-hmm. uh, classic twin studies show that around about half of the individual differences in perfectionism can be put down to genetics. But the reason why we call it a surface level trait is because that leaves a lot to be explained mm-hmm. by social factors mm-hmm. and immediate social factors so the immediate family environment, but also more broader social factors such as the, you know, the culture that... Uh, we grew up in or, or develop in so that's why we call it service level trade because there's okay. a lot there's a lot of social stuff going on there and, and that was what was really interesting to me yeah and when you talk about those social factors what sort of things are we looking at really in our in our wider environments and th- i know that's a big question <laughs> it's, 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 it's a huge question like uh, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of the research today has focused on the immediate family environment okay mm-hmm. because a lot of clinical case reports show that uh, when p- people that present perfectionist tendencies, w- when you often explore the root of it, mm. there's, there's a lot of early, early, uh, immediate sort of early, early life experiences, early childhood experiences, particularly around parenting practices. Um, but what's also interesting is that parenting practices don't operate in a vacuum. Like there's a broader cultural Absolutely. context to those behaviours, yeah. and there's also a broader con- cultural context that young people uh, develop into. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. what's really interesting from behavioural research is that actually the variance of social personality development with parenting and immediate family context is actually quite small. Yeah. And it's actually the broader culture that young people find themselves in that has a much heavier impact mm. on the, the, the types of personalities. Oh, that that's interesting. Yeah, that is really interesting and quite sort of scary, isn't it? Because actually that's something that we don't have a lot of control over. And that's not something that a lot of us, it's more like you're at the sort of on the receiving end of what the sort of broad cultural context is. So if our culture is telling us that perfectionism is an ideal that we should all be striving to, then that's what our culture is telling us to do. What can you really <laughs> do about it? Do you know yeah. what I mean? So it kind of leaves you at like a at sort of a loss, really, doesn't it? Yeah, and I know the, the example I often give my students is um, if, if you grew up in a family that had a different accent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so my dad has an Irish accent. Mm. Um, and did you keep that accent? Uh, and it's always a case that nobody does because essentially w- there's there's much greater weight of development mm-hmm. on even things like accents beyond the immediate family context that have an yeah. impact on how we behave yeah. um, and how we interact. And uh, you're absolutely right. Today's culture, mm-hmm. uh, there is a heavy emphasis on work ethic, meritocracy. Absolutely. And at the heart of that mm. sits perfectionism. Yeah. 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 So let's talk a bit about how that's actually really damaging to mental health. I feel like in some ways it seems almost obvious that Mm. striving for never-ending perfection is clearly just going to be a road to nowhere. Mm. Um, But what sort of, what does, what does the evidence kind of show? What kind of key mental health issues are people more vulnerable to? So perfectionism, uh, we know what perfectionism predicts. There's a lot of evidence to uh, both in clinical case reports and also in academic literature suggests that perfectionism contributes to a lot of psychological problems. Mm. And the reason why it's so problematic is you can y- you can kind of think about it like a um, 
I mean, I, I, I discuss this in, in a lot of the talks I give, but, you, but it, 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 a ne- it's a cycle of self-defeat. Mm. Um, but you can't, the perfectionists just cannot really step off. And so they set themselves high goals because at the root of perfectionism is a need for other people's approval. Mm. And that manifests itself. Ooh. that's the root of it right like so that's how it develops this this contingent sense of self-esteem based on how other people Mm. see us uh and 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 from that the behaviors that come from it are obviously high achievement because if i'm perfect then people will love me people will like me and Mm -hmm. so therefore that's the goal Mm. but of course if we're striving for other people's approval Mm. high goals we're setting ourselves excessive standards and then we overstrive, so we wear yeah. ourselves out to meet them. But of course, the goal is too high in the first place, so we don't meet it. So we're highly critical of ourselves because that 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 perceived failure reflects badly on ourselves as a person. Or we perceive it to reflect badly on ourselves as a yeah. person, which mm. leads to a lot of anxiety, worry, rumination, overgeneralization, yeah. uh, feelings of incompetence, etc., mm. etc. And then, and then to compensate, we work even harder Absolutely. to try to make up for that perceived deficiency, which mm-hmm. in turn leads us to a very, very negative spiral for mental health. So, so in in short, that's why it's so damaging. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are you feeling triggered, Siva? Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> I'm also just thinking. Obviously, yeah. So, from a medical p- standpoint, mm. it's it's obviously like there's a cultural pressure to be that way. Mm. But how about in scenarios where? someone's career or job also demands aspects of perfectionism I imagine that's an a heavier weight as well and and I suppose also when we talk about outcomes you mm. know when you talk about the personal cycle we talk about not feeling comfortable in yourself with your perceived failure but what if um you know less than perfect also has sort of tangible consequential outcomes such as which of course it will do yeah such as patient safety outcomes absolutely that's even more stressful to then for, for someone to move forward particularly someone who's quite perf- perfectionistic to mm. then take forward an actual outward failure so as to speak absolutely. failure so as to speak and move forward without that being even more damaging for their mental health but what i would say to that mm. is is and as a hundred, I totally agree, a hundred percent. There are certain jobs in in this world where perfection or, or near perfection is is almost criteria. Yeah. And and I, I you know, but, but but I would say to that a couple of things. The first thing is I think like don't c- confuse perfectionism f- with other things that are like meticulousness or conscientiousness Absolutely. or diligence, mm. because the two the two are different. Mm. Um, and perfectionism is um is not going to contribute to better performance. Mm. It's it's actually going to uh, inhibit performance because if you're let's say you're a doctor and you're a perfection you're perfectionistic about a particular treatment or operation that you you're you know you're working hard to you know almost make sure it's flawless. Mm. If you work so hard that you actually reach a point at which any more effort is going to uh, yield diminishing mm. if not in you know yeah. inverse returns because you're sacrificing other areas of your life like sleep or healthy diet or um or friends or whatever stuff where you can actually let go mm-hmm. and relax and be refreshed mm-hmm. you're actually going to inhibit the performance in the actual activity it yeah. itself so uh, so i would say the two th- one to be careful not to conflate the two because metic- meticulousness and conscientiousness are very different from perfectionism. But also, even if we take perfectionism as something that okay, maybe it is necessary for performance. The evidence is weak on that issue, and it's weak mm. because they put in too much effort and they sacrifice Every other areas important. of life. Yeah, yeah. 
Absolutely. And I suppose mm. a lot of our listeners will listen to this and recognise parts of what we look at, the, look at the perfectionism culture um, as something that's inherent to the everyday work that we do. Because I think almost everyone's wanting to succeed at their jobs, do amazing, look great on social media, and yeah. they want to do their side hustles. I'm like, kind of talking about myself a little bit as well. <laughs> they want to do their side hustles, make them into businesses. Mm. Almost because you see everyone else doing that, you think almost, that's okay, this norm. is that's the norm. And then also in like the strive of like gaining equality as well, you want to be like, look, I can do absolutely everything. Yeah. So I think all these things, which is probably like affecting our generation a little bit more than our parents' generation, for example, yeah. will definitely put us in the into that line of becoming like perfectionists to detriment to other parts of our lives yeah yeah, yeah there's a lot of work on burnout among young people now mm. and a lot of stuff that's gone viral in uh, around because that's that's what we see mm. um, and i you know i'm I, I consider myself to be you know not as young as uh, you guys but still i don't know how young sorry, you think I, we are i know your age Okay. Can, we, can we stop young. it? Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? I do the same thing. I feel like I look at like people in their mid twenties. I'm like the youth today. Oh, do you know what I do that with? Like they're the, eighteen. Yeah. You know, like the junior doctors. They can literally be like <laughs> maybe twenty five, twenty six. I'm like, oh god, baby, oh, look at you. you. No, no, come, come over here. Let, let me teach you. <laughs> but they're like literally like we're at the same grade. We do the same job. Yeah. Can you can yeah. you relax, please? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's funny, isn't it? Like, but I can totally empathise. Like, yeah. I, can, I can totally see that because that's kind of my life too. And you know, um, I mean, I took myself off off all forms of social media. Uh, oh, I was just going to say we should talk about social media. Sorry, can you, you let the man talk, media. please? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but but going, but going back to your point, like uh, like because of the, the, I did feel a lot of pressure to uh, sort of project, uh, even though I wasn't, ne- I don't feel necessarily vulnerable to that kind of. Yeah. Uh, those kind of worries it was still you still feel it like mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. it's everywhere like mm. it's and uh and you can't really escape it and you yeah. and young it people, almost shapes your view of what is now a norm yeah mm. and that's and that's what why we think culture's got a big role to play in and what we what the, what our data is showing about rising levels of perfectionism mm. because of um essentially you know young people are exposed to images of perfection and curated images of perfection all around them and and they're told that actually you know the perfect life and lifestyle is attainable it's achievable if mm-hmm. you just work hard enough if you put in enough effort mm-hmm. if you get the right opportunity mm-hmm. it, yeah mm-hmm. if you put yourself in the right place if you mm-hmm. hustle right yeah. like these are the messages that mm-hmm. we're, we're yes. sent <laughs> yeah. so is it any wonder that we're seeing these behaviors you know people engaging in these activities working really really hard because mm-hmm. this is what they're told uh, and as a consequence burning out uh, and perhaps sitting underneath that is perfectionism. Mm-hmm. I think what we need to be a little bit con- careful about is actually whether those promises are indeed true. Absolutely. Like, that's to say that we're told this, mm-hmm. but is it necessarily today the case, particularly young people um, that mm-hmm. I teach, 18, 19, 20, is it necessarily the case that if you put all this hard work in, you do put all this stuff on your CV, that you're going to get this kick-ass job at the end of it? Mm-hmm. Is that is that promise now today really realistic? I don't know. I'm not sure. Absolutely. Given the way, you know, the economy's mm. changed and jobs have changed. So mm-hmm. I think we need to be a bit careful about that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And do you know what's actually funny? I think mm. when I look back in, when I look back up in my first year of work, so I was living with Suba then, we were living in Essex. And so I had just come back from Manchester mm. and I was doing like a lot of work with Nike at the time. Mm. So I was so excited to be so close to London to be mm. able to go and work with them. I remember taking a day off work one day 
um, and going in, doing some like work with Mikey. I thought I was flexing a little bit. I was <laughs> posting it on the gram. I was going to meetings. But then at the end of that day, I didn't, I didn't actually get paid by Nike, even though they might have given me a bunch of clothes. I didn't yeah. really get paid by them, but I was flexing like I was doing everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what I would do, so then the next day, um, I did a locum shift at my work. And actually, I got paid so much more from, like, so much from my locum shift. Yeah. Just, like, getting my head down, going to work, um, doing a job that I enjoyed. Yeah. No one saw it on social media. I don't even post, like, my workplace work often on social media. Mm. And actually, like, the the monetary gains that I got was so much bigger from just going to work, having an enjoyable day, yeah. rather than having, like, such a high-stress day that I was able to flex everywhere. Yeah. But it's not something that you almost correlate the time as being more successful so i thought yeah. the nike thing was way more successful yeah but actually just doing my day-to-day -day was more successful at that moment in time but that's sort of about the social games almost isn't it because for someone that's looking at your mm -hmm. your feed or looking at your story is going like to be the like optics are different oh yeah exactly it's going to be so much more impressed by this like day with nike mm -hmm. than about you being like i did a locum shift yeah. be like, okay, but also cool. that's internal for me as well so mm. i thought it was amazing that I, I was sitting in a certain meetings and doing certain projects but actually it hasn't really done much for my career <laughs> or anything like going forward yeah it's my day-to-day -day work that has done that for me and yeah. brought me to even do this podcast do you see what i mean yeah yeah yeah, yeah absolutely so lols optics on everything <laughs> <laughs> no that's so true um and i kind of want to talk about social media because i think this is really interesting um because i think social media is actually amazing and an excellent of course vehicle for for change and giving like the mouthpiece to the people in a sense and lots of people democratizing use. the voice yeah tell them <laughs> like you know it's people get to sort of talk about what they want to talk about and you can go to different accounts that kind of have different messages rather than having to rely on like traditional sort of media sources mm -hmm. which i think is awesome um but also obviously on the flip on the flip side a lot of social media um is just like beautiful people that somehow are rich but also don't work mm -hmm. or like have traditional jobs and like are living their best lives 24 7 and it's one of those things that i always worry about like my younger cousins who grew up with social media and sometimes can't differentiate between being able to look at like images of things and being able to actually tease out the reality of those things like mm -hmm. do you know what i mean i think it's maybe sometimes like you almost mentioned for the more vulnerable people yeah like be able to kind of differentiate the two mm -hmm. um that can kind of get sucked into the th thinking that this is actually an, atta an attainable and achievable reality um and then use that as a comparison for themselves and often end up feeling let down by it um but also you see a lot of social media personalities actually nowadays there's a big push to kind of be a lot more real hashtag real on social media <laughs> and kind of talk hashtag about sponsored <laughs> but to talk about sort of you know like unedited unedited images or sort of more realistic day-to-day -day aspects of their life because actually you know like all we really all want as human beings is like connection with each other and social media is another tool for that and a lot of people react quite well to seeing mm. someone be more realistic or more honest or more truthful about what's going on in their life than what what you're actually seeing so I suppose that's kind of where, with regards to cultural pressures on perfectionism, that's kind of a, an area where we could all sort of try and make cultural shifts, right? Mm. Because if we can all be more honest with whoever we're sharing with on social media about what's actually going on with our lives or what we actually want to talk about, then, you know, hopefully that's something that can kind of undermine this constant drive for perfectionism. Yeah, I mean, the, the you're, you're absolutely, I, th I think that's a great analysis of where social media is right now. 
Um, I'm with you 100%. I think social media is a very positive force. Mm. It can bring people around shared interests and goals. It can it, it can essentially break or start to break down traditional forms of media and uh, how media is typically disseminated and give a voice back uh, to people that, that, that feel for, for a long time they've been disenfranchised. So I think mm. on all of those... On all of those uh, points, social media is a very good thing. I think we missed the point, really, when we when we asked the question, is social media good or bad? Yeah. Like, uh, we missed the point. Because mm-hmm. we, a lot of the risks, and even as researchers, we do that. Because we look at aggregate time on screen and mm. go, is it correlated with well-being? But the question is much more no- nuanced than that. Absolutely. It's, mm. it's, it's, yeah, it's great for some people. And it's really, really problematic for others mm-hmm. based on underlying vulnerabilities. Absolutely. And what's worrying for me is that we know one from our own research that one rel- vulnerability is perfectionism. We know perfectionism is on the rise among young people. So it's mm-hmm. not that social media itself is bad. It's that if you bring underlying res- vulnerabilities to the table and you use it for the wrong reasons, that's to say mm-hmm. that, that short-term hit for likes or followers mm-hmm. that's very transient. And then, of course, you have... You, you have the level now, the benchmark that you need to hit for, for the next mm. photo that you share. Cause you see, this is an exhausting process for some people who are doing it for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I feel, I've, I, I, for me, that's where I am with social media. And, and I think we just need to be very careful about throwing the baby out of the bathwater because um, I, I think it's a great thing. But, um, but there are certain aspects of it that can trigger certain individuals with underlying vulnerabilities, and one of them is perfectionism. Okay. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And so we've spoken almost a little bit about the culture. Um, how as an individual can you almost um, see those traits of perfectionism perfectionism in yourself? How do you how do you become more aware of it, if that makes sense? Um, I kind of goes back to Suba's point 
about a counterculture, right? Like, um, I do. I think things are going to get worse. I mean, I don't want to be like optimistic straight away because I think things are going to get worse. Mm. I think we're seeing, particularly Facebook, uh, there's a new innovation where you can like face tune or your face or something, and mm. just like this is the most horrible. I don't. I don't know how new that is. I was like, that's. Not, I was <laughs> like, okay, maybe you are older than us. Oh, I was yeah. like, it's not that new. Oh, is that not new? Yeah, no, it's okay. so, so. I heard about this the other day. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? But this thing is, I'm off mm. Facebook, so I have no idea what, what's going on. But it's like, so all these things that come through, then they instantly make me feel more depressed. But then, yeah. but then, but then I see young people every day. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you guys, are like, uh, are totally like counterculture in this like yeah. you know there is this kind of real movement um you know body positivity mm. i love the work of natasha devon who does a lot of uh positive advocacy in this area and there's a lot of traction being built in that space and i feel mm. i feel like there's good reason to be optimistic mm-hmm. so i feel like there there is uh, uh th- there is good reason to be optimistic and that's how it's got to start you know, it has to start from the bottom up. There's, you know, we can talk about policies and we can talk about yeah, things that we can do um, at a governmental level. But actually, without young people themselves saying, no, this culture is not serving us mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, and we want to challenge it and do something about it, then things don't change. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I think we are beginning to see that. And as, as, as individuals and as collective we're, we are sort of rejecting this idea that we need to be perfect, that we need to be flawless, that we need to have a perfect life or lifestyle, we need to have the car, we need to have the house, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of, these kind of very materialistic things. I think we are moving away from them, and I think that's, I think that's a very mm-hmm. positive thing. And do you ever, I'm not sure, um, with your research, have you looked at um, perfectionism in the workplace and what that looks like? For particularly like a lot of our listeners once again mm-hmm. who work in like law firms or corporate firms or work in the hospital or general practices yeah i think young almost, professionals in general yeah it? essentially and particularly those who live in london i think so much of what we've done um and the way that our parents may have raised us has been to strive <laughs> that, you said that for so much uh, so much exhaustion <laughs> yeah. it's to keep striving and we've been doing that since our a levels to university yeah. to postgraduate to the work that we do now how is it that how can we shift the culture or do you see culture shifting in the workplace uh that's a more tricky one okay. but it's a very good question because there's why a, is it more tricky because that's a harder one to shift mm-hmm. uh there are broader i mean you know i won't i won't bore you with the the, the historical context but um the way that the way that economies have changed in the last yeah. 30 years has been s- substantial and the way that companies operate within that culture mm-hmm. is very very different um there's mm-hmm. a lot more precarity there's a lot more insecurity uh and companies are you know in- expecting longer hours for the same pay and this is you know this is this has kind of been the story now for the last 10 yeah. years wages have not, not really gone anywhere in it and it's and it, and you know you know more th- better than i do about how that culture plays out within the health context in the nhs in terms of lo- uh, much more uh, pressurized environments of, of increasing population mm-hmm. meaning more workload but mm-hmm. for for the same amount of expected um hours and so it's putting pressure on everybody mm-hmm. and we're seeing a lot of pressure in the workplace um, and a lot of work-related stress, absenteeism, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, that's on the rise. Um, 
and one of the things that we've done in the area of perfectionism is show that if you're perfectionist in that context, it's particularly damaging. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting is that it's in the workplace where perfectionism has its strongest correlations mm -hmm. with burnout. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, because you can't extricate yourself from that environment. You're there, mm -hmm. you have to work within those confines and that context. And when you perceive a lack of control, it becomes very, very uh, exhausting mm -hmm. uh, if you're a perfectionist. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's where I think it would be uh, much more mm -hmm. difficult to change, and I think that's where, again, um, I, I I'm, I'm less optimistic okay. on that one. That's <laughs> interesting you say that because actually, when you were saying that's when people it'll be become more difficult for people just because that's when they start to drop out or they've become burnt out. So we were looking at this topic of burnout with our last guest last week. Mm. Um, and essentially what he was saying is that actually we can use that as a tool for change. Yeah. So if, well, I suppose it's different in the NHS because obviously it's government funded mm. um, and they essentially need to retain the doctors that they're training in this country. Suba, who's going to New Zealand next <laughs> week. <laughs> <laughs> was it this week? This week. That's Literally crazy. Tomorrow. Oh, I'm so, I'm actually so excited for you to, <laughs> I would, I wish I could come as well, but. Um, yeah, I'm super jealous. <laughs> I can't wait. So it's, I think it's interesting that the government needs to do like a little bit more work retaining us mm. and maybe that's a positive thing for them to see how they can retain their workers by treating them better, by expecting a little bit less in terms of like hours um, and also just rewarding people either monetarily um, or with time in lieu and things like that. So actually I saw that as a positive, but I suppose you can only do that when you're talking about a big group of people rather than yeah. smaller businesses. I mean, I can go political on this. Go on, go on, please. Well, you've got you to understand, the worst civil servant is the best civil servant, according to conservative ideology. Mm -hmm. Because if, if, mm -hmm. if, a, if a national health service works, if a nationalised or socialised education system works, then they, they, they haven't got an argument. Mm. Like, they don't, the, you know, the idea that government doesn't function, yeah. well, it, it relies on government not functioning. So, uh, you know, for the health service, as long as as long as you have a sort of conservative government, it, I, I think it would be it would be difficult to make the argument for the positive things that, that, that to change, like the working conditions, the pay, et cetera, et cetera, because because of where they come from ideologically. Um, so I, I mean, and I think particularly in the health service, that's created a lot of issues mm. among the workforce, just because of you know, you you can't have an increase in population uh, and an increased demand on a on a service and not at the same time mm. give it the funding that it requires. So hypothetically speaking, you're saying that it'd be, they'd be more inclined, not the Conservative Party specifically, but would you are you saying that governments could be more inclined to? shift towards like a private system or are you saying that they'd be more inclined just to make people work harder and more often it just depends where you come from on good grace maybe it, it just depends where you come from on that mm. like if you, if you come from a, a perspective that there's a role of the state to um, yeah. take to move into an area where the market wouldn't necessarily effectively mm. function i.e health education things that mm -hmm. haven't necessarily mm -hmm. got the profit motive then you that le leads the way for more sort of progressive um yeah. Uh, policy making that would fund it you mm -hmm. know and, and Australia's got a good system uh, New Zealand's got a good system you know it's kind of ha mostly state but there's a bit of private mm -hmm. and it kind of works quite well so I'm not saying it has to be the NHS mm -hmm. no, but, like, but, um, but, but the point is that that, that certainly isn't the perspective of, from what I can see anyway of, of uh, the Conservative Party in mm -hmm. this country who um, have really in my opinion anyway of, of, of 
sort of with the dereliction of duty in terms of the funding for the NHS, mm. which requires which requires far, far more funding than is available. And that has knock-on impacts on, mm -hmm. on staffing. And it's no wonder that uh, many, many doctors move abroad because there are better conditions and there's better mm -hmm. pay. And mm -hmm. I was in Australia for my postdoc and I met loads of doctors from the United <laughs> Kingdom who were having yeah, yeah. a great time yeah. because yeah. it was just so much better to work there. Yeah. So I think we do need to help and build better working conditions because uh, it is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Suba, you in New Zealand, how did you find the working conditions differ? Well, this is the thing, actually. People always ask me, they're like, so did you do so much less work in New Zealand? And I'm like, <laughs> no, it's, the job does not vary that much. It's The patients are the same. It's just as busy, it's just as chaotic, and your hours are the same. You know, I feel like sometimes the way you see it is that your hours are fixed, right? So if they have 10 hours of your time, they've got 10 hours of your time. Mm -hmm. Until the 10 hours are done, like, you just have to, fin you have to work. So you're not surfing within those 10 hours? No, yeah, oh, you're okay. not sat around, <laughs> like, you know, frolicking on the beaches or, yeah, that's not happening. Um, but the few things that actually do make a big difference and make you feel like a valued employee are the fact that you get free food. And I know that sounds so simple and so basic, but it was a huge deal for all of us British docs over there we could not get over it. Like, still, sort of five months down the line, we were like, oh my God, it's free. <laughs> like, it's such a little thing for an employer to actually provide, but mm. it sort of makes you, it, I mean, it takes a huge stress off you, firstly, you don't have to worry about getting your lunch ready with the day before or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, it just, it takes a bit of, frees up a bit of your time, mm -hmm. but also you just feel like a bit more valued by your employer. Um, and then the second thing was just that overall staff morale was better. And those two things are probably the biggest things that made it more enjoyable for me. Mm -hmm people that I w was working with generally being quite happy mm -hmm. and relatively upbeat and quite happy to be there. So whereas sometimes I think when you're working in the NHS, the general mood is a bit... That's not always the priority. Yeah, it's, and, and I think it's that brings it back a bit, to what yeah. you guys were both saying in the first place. Yeah. Actually, with perfectionism, it can never just be a pure, purely good thing. Um, and actually, we shouldn't conflate it with those like specific, useful um, traits. So yeah. when you look at them focusing on making sure that you guys are well-fed, they're actually looking to make sure that you're well-rested, then making sure that you're having some time out to rest and relax yeah. or to commune with your colleagues. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, there's also a focus on those positive things that you might lose if you were just to work, work, work mm. yeah. um, and become tired or become burnt out yeah. or work so much that you do fall off that cliff that you were describing earlier. Yeah. It would be interesting, actually. Um, Let's do a study. Yeah, just <laughs> yeah. to know how Can bad burnout rates are in <laughs> yeah. different places and what things sort of affect you. Yeah, it's being valued, though, right? Like, yeah. that's, that's kind of a, it's a gesture from mm. the service that, you know, we, we value you and therefore don't worry about picking up the tab for, like, uh, things like lunches or yeah. whatever. Like, it's a very small gesture, and I'm sure it mm. doesn't cost that much. But it goes a long and, way. And, uh, but I, I guess in terms of staff morale and absenteeism and that mm. sort of stuff, I'm sure it saves saves loads and loads mm -hmm, of money. Mm -hmm. 100%. And I think, I think morale is a huge thing, because I think, like, you know, we all as people can probably manage and cope with quite a lot like you can sort of take quite a lot before you sort of say actually i've really had enough mm. um and what you want to do is not let anyone get to that point where they can turn around and say actually i've really had enough because it takes a lot like mm. and it doesn't take much to sort of limit it getting to that point mm. sure. so this is why it seems like such a waste when you have people that you know 
sort of strip out of the career because of burnout mm-hmm. because it's like they've taken so much yeah. like they were and willing it takes to take a, so much it's so funny it takes a lot until it doesn't take anything at all yeah. so yeah. it could just be the next morning someone's like nah nah you can't so not you know, if you go around you're like okay has anyone got a spare pen and then everyone has a spare pen then you're like do you know what effort <laughs> effort that's it i'm done i'm done out of here but it's funny yeah, those yeah, things yeah, really yeah. builds up until you can't tolerate Absolutely. anything or just like one small criticism i can yeah. imagine it would be like one day someone you know sort of the- like oh your skirt's a bit short and you're like bye <laughs> yeah exactly i'm done or you know when it's they say length sorry Sharon. i've got so many you know when they're like can you just take that necklace off and i'm like why? all right bye i'm done i'm done because these things make no sense yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, i think it's crazy that like whilst working at some jobs in the nhs i would have worked four months in a department and by the end no one still knows my name and i'm sorry but it's a name like it's not that hard at the four end letters of, it's four, not that four hard months and then, yeah thank you and like <laughs> someone's like and i'm like suba it's suba i'm sorry it's suba literally i've been here four months why don't you know my name Whereas in New Zealand, it's crazy, but I would be on an on-call shift on a ward that I don't even work on, and some of the nurses would be like, oh, what's your name, doctor? And I'm like, you want to know my name? I'm just like, you want to know it, guys. (laughs) You want to know my name? And I would just like never leave their ward and do all the jobs they want me to do. It just takes so little, doesn't it? It does, it does. does. You're so worn down by the system. No, it's so, and it's funny what the culture does to your mind. So I remember I asked a nurse what her name was. And then she was like, yeah, what do you want? And I was like, oh, my gosh. And literally just asking your name. And then she was like, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, oh, okay, cool. Nice to meet you. And then I walked away. And she, she must have been stunned. She, <laughs> she probably thought about that for the next seven days. Like, why did she want my name? Yeah. Like, is she committing is she some going kind of identity fraud? Like, what is she doing? <laughs> oh, gosh. But I suppose that's where we need to, like, shift our focus at work from like looking at ourselves as individuals who have full needs yeah. rather than okay we're just here to get this stuff done for this organization that doesn't really care about us all the time yeah yeah that's the thing because there's little ways in which i guess we can all protect ourselves and contribute to our culture but it's like you said it's really hard at work because it's kind of beyond you almost you know it's mm-hmm. sort of something it sometimes does really need to come from top down mm-hmm. and not only sort of bottom up what i'd be interested to like know is within the people that you work with do you are you quite good at recognizing perfectionism and and the dangers of that within your own team because you're all obviously all quite aware of what that looks like yeah i mean uh, mean, uh, academics are notorious for Mm, moaning about uh, (laughs) work-life balance but it's all self-inflicted like uh, they they work we work as hard as we do because we love what we do mm. we you know and and universities do take advantage of that a little bit i think but but the 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 more i think my ma- my more i mean one of my major roles at the university is pastoral role to students mm. and um i get a i you know i see a lot of perfectionist tendency in my staff but but i, I see more among students and i think for me anyway it's um it's about recognizing uh, it's about recognizing when people are putting too much pressure on themselves, particularly with students around exam times, around coursework submissions. Is tend to mm. where we see a lot of the problems start to arise, and recognizing when the standards are too excessive mm. and signposting them in the direction of, of uh, you know, me- uh, professional mental health uh, support because talking to someone's really, really important. Mm. And ju- sometimes it's just like rationalizing. Mm. You know what? It's not the end of the world. Mm. that you might have had a bad grade on this occasion but actually there's a bigger picture and mm-hmm. sometimes it's really a lot of, we get lost we lose the wood for the trees in, in focusing on the minutiae when realizing that there's a broader goal that we all need to 
we all need to work towards mm -hmm. you know whether we want to be a teacher or a doctor or whatever um and that all of these you know all of these setbacks are just opportunities to learn right and develop and grow and don't necessarily get too bogged down in the score and the grade and, mm -hmm. and the percentage or whatever and think more about okay how can i use this to make sure that i'm better next time absolutely um, so that's kind of the some of the things that i'll often communicate to students mm -hmm. when they come to me in a bit of distress around having not achieved their high standards yeah and i think you summed up really clearly in your article in the harvard business review big ups <laughs> <laughs> available <laughs> from all good airports <laughs> <laughs> And I, there were two titles I liked, like the two subsections that I really liked in the article. So one was going on that, and it was talking about um, how perfection isn't the always the best goal, or I can't remember what it said. Mm. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I know. What yeah, so you were saying perfection wasn't um, the only goal that we should be trying to attain. Yeah. And then there was another one that I love, and I feel like you see it in like little bits on like Instagram and stuff. Um, but you said done is better than perfect. Yeah. And I think mm. that speaks to me so much because there's such a mm. tendency to procrastinate or to think, what is the best solution? What is the best starting point? When actually, if you just go out, get stuff done, yeah. start your podcast in Suba's bedroom upstairs, yeah, yeah, yeah. then actually you'll be at a, you'll be on the journey to getting your goals like achieved, and they yeah. might just be more m more satisfying for you. Absolutely. Essentially, absolutely. Um, you know the. You can't. This is this is why per perfectionism and procrastination go hand in hand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because perfectionists have an an aversion to failure. Right. They they feel failure is an indictment on themselves mm. as a person. Mm. Right. That sh it it shows off some inner weakness or perceived inner weakness to others. So you you can't fail at something you don't start. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's why procrastination is such a problem among these uh, individuals. And and you're absolutely right. Just get something started. If you have got an idea. Go for Just it. Do it. Yeah. Don't don't worry about what what the output is. It's probably going to be it. No, I guarantee you, it will be rubbish. Like the first yeah. time you do it. Like yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the whole point about starting something new. It's never going to be. You're never going to start a, 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 as a polished article. But um, you're absolutely right. Get words on a paper. Mm. Get. Um, get yourselves in a, in a in a bedroom and just yeah. start recording. <laughs> like, yeah. don't hold back. Never hold back. Um, just. Just get get whatever it is that you're passionate about, whatever it is you want to do. Don't let your perfectionism get tell tell you that if I if I start this, I'm going to fail, and therefore if I fail, I'm going to look weak, and if I look weak, that's showing off some inner in deficiencies mm -hmm. to others. Don't worry. No, yeah. it's it's much more satisfying, as you say, to just start something, mm -hmm. get it done, learn, uh, yeah. and and as you progress and develop. That's where you know you actually. I mean, it helps you break down your perfectionism too. Absolutely, and I think it also allows you to focus on slightly yeah more important goals. Yeah. So of like learning and mm. under having understanding of certain areas or certain skill sets, um, rather than just thinking okay, it's going to be me on a grandstand or on stage one day giving up my like my Oscar speech. Like that's not that's not the goal. <laughs> actually, it's the learning and the enjoyment and the relationships that you build along the way. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's cool. Yeah. 100%. Something that you touched on in your paper, which I thought was interesting. Is which paper are you talking about? The um, the study with the college students. Sure, yeah. So the original study that showed that there were high rates of perfectionism mm -hmm. throughout yeah. time. Yeah. That's right. Um, something that you spoke about in the introduction section was about um, sort of people being less 
or showing showing less sort of empathy towards people that were failing and sort of qualities like that which are yeah. encouraged by sort of meritocracy mm. and constantly trying to be the best or trying to to get the top grades and things like that means that you sort of dis sort of con sort of don't consider people that don't do as well with yeah. as much empathy or if something goes wrong you're more likely to blame it on them than you are to accept your own blame yeah um and is that something that you see i mean because i think it's also interesting that you obviously have young students that you teach and that you provide pastoral care for is that something that you do see in your student cohort as well well this is in today's culture you, you're told anyway that you're the captains of our own destiny right so mm. like it's up to you mm. you know it's all on you 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 have it within your uh you know power to do whatever you want as long as you try hard enough this is kind of the ethos behind meritocracy mm -hmm. and with that comes a very individualistic mindset that's to say that we're we kind of internalize a sense that we're, we're all individuals there's a classic thatcher line that we're all individuals now there's no such thing as society or whatever and that actually we just need to look after ourselves first and foremost um and the theory goes of course that if we're all self-interested actors in a free and free and fair marketplace mm. then uh, it's the best way to organize everybody prospers a mm. rising tide lifts all those yada 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 um and so that's <laughs> and that <laughs> <laughs> so you sound like my a-level politics teacher <laughs> 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 so like, but, th this is, but, but that's that's where this comes from right that's where this sense mm. that okay so i'm i'm my own i'm my, this is why the hustle comes in I'm, the, I'm my own entrepreneur and i make my you know i can make my own way in life and this is where we start to see a lot of competitive competitiveness come yeah. in because we're, we're constantly vigilant about where we sit in society mm. um and and that leads us to spending behaviors and patterns that are very different to maybe previous generations being like image goods status mm. goods possessions etc yeah. etc et to demonstrate some form of material worth so that in that context we see a lot of these behaviors around less empathy among recent generations mm. of young people uh, more individualistic kind of traits mm. so extroversion self-esteem self-esteem movement we could go into that like you know uh, it's, it's you know you've got to just as long as you've got high self-esteem like building up people's self-esteem has become like a bit of a training mm -hmm, uh mm -hmm. focus so it's all around it, 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 it young people are seen or bombarded with just norms focus, that, norms, that yeah. ever it's all about themselves and that mm -hmm. they've got no one to blame but themselves so and, but this is but, so that's great if you can do well like if you can succeed i guess meritocracy works and that's i guess that's why I guess those that have done very well are very mm. in favor of meritocracy because mm. it's kind of a very self-serving doctrine that says I've done well because of my abilities and my skills. Mm. Mm. But what we forget about in that conversation mm. is for those that haven't made it yeah. that because it teaches them that actually your lack of a car or a nice house or a nice job is your own fault, mm. right? Like, and it mm. speaks to your uh, lack of ability or skills or whatever. Mm. And and to those people, mm. uh, that's a very very psychologically damaging mm. uh, culture to live in. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons why we potentially see quite a lot of struggle because no mm. one wants to end up there. No one wants to feel flawed. We know we you know we all want to feel confident. We want to have a need for purpose mm. and confidence. So nobody wants to end up there. So that's why we have this kind of incessant need to, as individuals, mm. for strive, achieve, perform. Mm. Because in this culture, that's how we get our self-worth. Mm -hmm. And I know we've not come here to talk about like male suicide at all today. Mm -hmm. But um, I just remember back to my time when I was doing a psychiatry placement. Mm -hmm. And a father of a, um, a young man who'd committed suicide, he came to talk to us mm -hmm. about the certain things that we could look out in look out in our patients. Mm -hmm. But even more importantly, also our family and friends. Mm -hmm. And 
I think like one of the number one um, risk factors for men to commit suicide and women as well um, is if someone within your family has committed suicide. So now that becomes an option. But then he also looked at a whole list of different factors. And what I thought was so interesting was actually there's lots of people who would seemingly look very successful, seemingly look very competent, who are also dealing with high levels of anxiety Mm. and high levels Mm. of what their reality not matching up to that that figure or and dream that they have in their head mm. so he just said look it's not always the people who are it's not always the people who are underachieving and mm. a lot of times it it just frankly isn't and we need to think about what anxiety looks like particularly in young men <laughs> yeah definitely and i think what you touched on there's so interesting because it's about this I know it's not American in our case, but almost like this American dream of success mm. as being something that's sold to us as like the pinnacle of what we should all aspire for. But that for, for, many, for very many of us, you may get there and not feel fulfilled at all because it's not actually something that's your own, your own concept of what success or a dream mm. is. And even the concept of success is all relative, right? Because is it you having sort of more figures in your bank account than someone else? Is it you having... Flexing some clout. Yeah, is yeah, it yeah, you having some yeah. free Nikes? Like, what is what <laughs> all is right, success? All right, watch it. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is success? You know, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it's interesting. But also, there's like huge countercultures to that, right? Like the mm-hmm. whole r- uprising Absolutely. of like the power of introverts, mm-hmm. or like yeah. you know people that reject the concept of having like I'm obsessed with tiny houses. I don't know if you guys have heard. I of love them. tiny houses. I'm yeah. literally obsessed. There's this YouTube mm-hmm. channel that I just can't stop watching. But like you know, even that whole concept of like minimalism, of downsizing, mm-hmm. yeah. of having a yeah. small eco footprint, like yeah. things yeah. like that, is a whole even, different yeah, counterculture <laughs> to the actual American dream of having like literally a Hummer. How ridiculous is that? But you're driving around in like a actual army car, but on your road, it's insane. But that's yeah. kind of what we see as being like sold as the pinnacle of success mm-hmm. in our but sort of all, culture. But almost when you think about it, when you look at any of these like countercultures or even like the main culture itself, the damaging thing is when you think that that culture itself is specifically going to cater for you yeah. and it's going to give you all of your heart's desires. Yeah. Look, we always talk about identity at the end of each show, super, don't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah, it always comes down to it. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think it's so important to figure out what our, our identity is steeped in. Yeah. And if actually it's steeped yeah. in, like, image, or if it's steeped in the fact that, like, I'm better, like, humanist or socialist than you, yeah. or... Um, or any, or I have a tiny house and I live this minimal lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. I'm Mary Kondo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, no, she is a pinnacle. Let's let's, let's not joke <laughs> about this. But I think once you lose your identity in any of those things, yeah. it's, everything's fallible at the end of the day. Yeah, and it's actually about your happiness and what you feel. Yeah, just having awareness at the end of the day, mm-hmm. isn't it? And being conscious of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah no, like not falling into the narrative traps of like. Culture. so easy to though yeah. it is easy to and sometimes that's for you you know if the if if, if you if you uh maybe you have a aspiration for a family kids whatever mm-hmm. like that's 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 awesome and that's brilliant but some people that's not for everyone like you were saying yeah. some people have different goals and it's about you know authenticity is big mm-hmm. yeah and mm-hmm. and being who you are yeah uh you know you be you yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a really nice. I like, love that we're ending this mm-hmm. on loads of like positive yeah. hopes yeah. that you can also <laughs> find on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Live your live your most authentic life. Exactly. Not your best. <laughs> it may not be the best, but actually, it will be the best for you. <laughs> there we go. Maybe we can tape, put that on a like a, a Photoshop uh, yeah. sort of thing, and yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll start a print. We'll start a prince business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's gonna be our new thing. Put it on a t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
phone cases, everything. Right. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, well, that sort of brings us to a wrap. It does, but can I just ask you, because I'm just interested in some of the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, you're making a move to London. Can you tell us a little <laughs> bit? <laughs> he's not, I don't know why he's pretending to be excited. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. I was, I was actually going to say, Tom, like, getting the tube this morning, I've not done a morning rush hour it's tube awful. in ages. It's so and I was like, is this, do you actually want to do this? I'm sure life is a lot better down in Bath. <laughs> oh, it's to- totally sleepy. Like, <laughs> yeah. but then again, that has its own issues. But um, uh, no, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a, a shock. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, and yeah. so, what sort of things do you have planned mm. in London in the future? Well, like I, I would like our work to go more into awareness. Um, so that's why I've come into London. Really, is more opportunity to to, to get close to policymakers. Mm. Um, just build a, a kind of. I would like uh, if there's any, if there's one thing I'd like to do is is to, is to tell young people that actually you, know, you might think perfectionism is a very positive trait mm. and it's like a necessary evil. Like it's kind of everyone's favorite flaw in, yeah, in yeah. a way, right? Like mm. I'm a total perfectionist, right? Here, like, <laughs> yeah, at the, at the end of every interview. Yeah, yeah. yeah. actually, <laughs> what's funny story? Quality? Yeah. <laughs> Such a perfectionist. Um, but 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 actually, there's a there's a there's a serious point because because that that that's not healthy. Mm. Um, and I would, I would I, and so we're doing a lot of work to develop some awareness. Uh, building some awareness among young people about what perfectionism is, what it isn't, yeah. and what uh, perhaps better ways yeah. uh, to strive and healthier ways to strive because you'll be you'll feel more content both in yourself, but you'll also be far better yeah. um, as a you know a, a rounded person that integrates well, that has good relationships, and because perfectionism is has you know is a worldview that separates us, and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and bringing bringing people to get together is really important. Um, so awareness for me is really important. Uh-huh. Um, so that's 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 really like the, the key uh, focus. I think in the next few years, getting yeah. the message out there. Yeah. So um, where will you be? Are you going to be working at university? Would you say? Uh, I'm moving to um, the LSE. Ah, okay. Uh, so um, yeah, right, right in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the perfectionist yeah. institution. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank for you, Suba, also for joining me this morning. <laughs> <laughs> for getting out of bed eventually. <laughs> so yeah, thank yeah. you so much, guys, for listening. Take care. Bye. 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 Catch us over on www.afterthelettercom or forward slash after the letters on every social media network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.